Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and I'm going to start on a two-part message that I intended to begin last week. But praise the Lord, we were divinely interrupted, and, uh, and God had greater plans. Amen? So anyway, but I do want to speak to you from that topic this morning. And if you have that word, Joshua chapter 1, if you'll hang on to that for a few minutes, we're going to get there together. Before I get into the word, though, I want to say thanks to Jim Meglick, our men's leader, men's director, uh, for uh, a wonderful week last week with the Monday Night Men's Football Fellowship. Uh, all of you guys that came out, you know that was a wonderful time. Uh, fellowship and uh, football is always good. And uh, more food, oh my goodness, more food than a, a troop of men knew what to do with. Uh, guys, I want to challenge you to get involved with that. Uh, we are looking for host homes. Jim had about four neighbors who came over and shared fellowship with the men from this church. And we believe that's going to impact neighborhoods and communities around the city. But this is not all just about Jim's neighborhood. It's about your neighborhood as well. And, uh, and uh, we would challenge you that we are looking for hosts. We're, going to have, we're taking this week off because we know there's some people dealing with difficulties from the storm. But we're going to jump back on it the 24th. And uh, we, need, we need hosts to step up and open their homes and invite your neighbors and we'll come and try to behave ourselves so that you're not embarrassed in front of your neighbors. And, uh, but if you would, Jim, would you just stand and let everybody see you there? Because I know that after this meeting today, we're going to have a bunch of volunteers who want to get in touch with you. Amen. Because that's the way we roll here at Faith. All right. So if you got that place there, Joshua chapter 1, would you shout amen? And uh, we're going to get into the word together this morning. Well... Um, probably I would be safe in my assumption today that we would all want to be successful people. Amen. Absolutely. I don't, I don't believe that anybody sets out in this life with the goal of being a loser. You know, nobody, nobody's ever answered the question with, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up by saying, you know what, I think I'd like to be a colossal failure. That's just... That's just my, no, you've never heard that come out of anybody's mouth. Now, life may persuade people that that's their destiny. Uh, councils of other people might suggest the same, but nobody wants to be a failure. How many of you, let me just see, show of hands this morning, how many of you want to be successful people? Absolutely, 100% of us want to be successful people. Now, as we're talking about the subject of success, you know, that is a, a subject that, is, that can be broadly defined among the human race. As we ask the question this morning, what is success? Well, the things that equal success to you are probably based on what you value as an individual. It's often cultural or geographical. Have you ever, let me, let me illustrate that. Have you ever been to somebody and you were expressing uh, your great pleasure in something that you thought you had been successful in only to find out that they weren't the least bit interested in what you were talking about? Anybody? 
Anybody. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, sometimes what we value, it's, it's generational, it's geographical. Sometimes the younger gener- generation can come to the older and say, oh my goodness, I did this thing and, and you know, this and that and another thing and, and uh, it's just foreign to us. We don't understand that. It's like good for you. And sometimes likewise, the older can say to the younger, you know, I achieved this thing and nobody cares, you know, it's because it's, it's based on a lot of times what we value as an individual. Uh, the, the way that we even as individuals define success sometimes is often very seasonal. How many of you have found that to be true in your lives that the things that you defined as being successful when you're, you were younger is no longer the, the measure of success for today. The things that you wanted then are not the things that we want now. The things that we wanted in one season of life aren't really the things upon which we have our sights set in this season. We often find that we've grown and we've matured, and along with that, so have our desires and our appetites. Therefore, what we define as success changes along with it. And along with that, oftentimes what we count as success is very, it's very temporal. It's shiny today and it's rusty tomorrow. How about this one? It was worth $40,000 when you got in it at the car lot. And it was worth thirty dollars by the time you parked it in your driveway. Come on, somebody shout Amen. Sometimes the way we measure success in this physical life is very much a moving target. It changes, it evolves, it, it, it doesn't stay the same, it's very fluid. But in the grand scheme of things, God gives us the power to become successful at so many things. And if, if you look around this room, if you correctly observe Any human individual, I believe that you could summarize that person with a word. And go ahead, you can look around if you want to. Look at the person on your left, look at the person on your right, and I'm going to tell you how to summarize them. You could summarize them with the word potential. Because bound up in them is the stamp of God's great design. There's a a destiny there that is extraordinary. There's a destiny there that is above and beyond. There's a destiny there in accordance with his nature that he is the God who does exceedingly abundantly above everything that we ask or imagine. And therefore, the thing that you've dreamed about yourself doesn't even come close to what God has dreamed about you. And you are potential. You are potential. Now the gifting, the talent, and the skill abides for us to be successful people. But of all the things upon which we set our sights as being successful, there's one thing in one area that matters more than all the rest. You may be here today and you may be uh, having corporate aspirations. You're trying to climb the ladder at work. You may, you may have relationship goals and that's great. You may have goals as a student. You may have goals uh, for your retirement, for your portfolio. Whatever it is, you've got goals and you've got benchmarks by which you measure your success. But I want to tell you above all of that, There's one thing that matters more than anything else. 
More than financial success, more than uh, relational success, more than successful career. There's one thing that matters the most because the honest truth is most things by which we measure success are very temporal and fleeting. But when time is no more and we stand before the Lord in eternity... His concern will not be about the empires that men have built, the wealth that they have amassed, nor any of the many things that we feel are necessary for us to be concluded as being successful individuals. The Lord's concern first and foremost, yes, he wants to prosper you. I believe that God wants to bless you. How many of you believe that God wants to bless you here and now? Amen. Amen. I I rebuke a spirit of poverty in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that God wants to bless us, that he wants to enlarge our territories. But even above all of that, there's one thing that God wants you and I to have more than anything else, and that is spiritual success. He wants you to be a spiritually successful person. Because the thing is, the success that you achieve spiritually is something that's going to be eternal. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the thieves don't break in and steal, where the moths don't don't eat it up, where the rust doesn't corrupt. How many of you have ever bought something and you were so pleased and so proud of it until you went out there and stuck it in the yard and it was just so beautiful? Uh, Lisa and I do a lot of stuff in the yard with gardening and different things and we'll buy these little butterflies and go out there and stake them down in the ground and they're just so wonderful. They're just so eye-catching and pleasing for about three or four weeks. And then they get rained on, the dew sets on them, different things, and next thing you know, they're rusted all to pieces. You know, and, and we're ready to ball it up and throw it in the trash or repaint it or whatever it is we decide to do with it. But, uh, but what God wants us to have is something, what he wants us to be successful in is something that is eternal, that is everlasting, that is, a, is an eternal treasure. So all of God's promises are wonderful, and the Bible is filled with them. And as we read through the Old Testament, though, we find one promise that God has made to a man named Joshua that we should all be desirous of, and I believe we can all have. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, we find this. God speaks to Joshua and says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. This is a promise of prosperity and success. That's a a great promise in a world full of turmoil and uncertainty. That you will be prosperous and you will have good success. Now, Webster defines success as the favorable or prosperous termination of anything attempted. The favorable or prosperous termination of anything attempted. Now, here's the catcher to that. You and I, we're all attempting this thing called life. We're all attempting this thing called life and... When I was a kid, one year I I worked really hard. Some of you can bear witness 
And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know, you need to know. But I chopped tobacco. And I topped tobacco. And I suckered tobacco. And I pulled tobacco and I put it in and I took it out. And I sprayed it. And we tied it up and we toted it off. And anything you can think to do to it, we did it. All summer long. So that at some point during that summer, I went and bought myself. Now, share this with your kids because they're not, they're not aware of this concept at all. But I went and bought for my 13-year-old self a Nintendo Entertainment System. complete with the duck hunt game and the gun and all that good stuff. And let me tell you, let me tell you, this is a side note. Let me tell you the difference between kids today and, and me. You go and buy that thing for your kid. They're going to play with it for 30 minutes and a week from now, they won't know where half of the pieces are and it's going to be broke and they're going to be asking for the next thing. I bought my own and I still own it. Okay. It's still you. If anybody wants a good game of duck hunt with the, with the little thing, you can come to my house. All right. I can hook you up. But I used to play this game, Super Mario Brothers, and you were to save the princess, but there were some tricks to that game, and there were some little, there were some little, little hidden treasures in there. And one of those things was that if you, would, if you would find this one little creature at just the right point in the right time, you could jump up and down on his head, and you would get a bunch of different extra lives. So in other words, you would almost have this unlimited number of attempts to save the princess. I mean, it was hundreds of times that you could, you could as, you know, virtually die and come back again. You know what the deal is for you and I? We only get one chance. We, we don't have any do-overs. We don't have any extra lives, so to speak. We're all attempting this thing called life, and in order for it to truly be counted a success, I believe the Bible offers us several principles that will ensure that just as God's promise to Joshua, ours will be a way that is prosperous and successful. Are you ready? On the back of your bulletin, you have some notes, and you can follow along with us here, and these are some things that you can consider. Uh, this is a, a two-part message, as I said, number one, because it's a five-point sermon, and I just don't dare bring you a five-point sermon because I know that your, uh, your ability to receive is going to uh, not keep up with my ability to give. So uh, I've divided this thing into two. Somebody asked me one time, said, Pastor, how do you get to a sermon series? I said, when I realize that I've written an hour-long sermon, then I know I've got a two-part message. When I realize I've written about a six-hour-long sermon, then I know we've we got about a 12-week thing there, right? So uh, that's the way we do it. So anyway, uh, the first place that we must start if we're going to have spiritual success is an area of life that must be the bedrock foundation upon which the rest of our lives is built, and that is a commitment to Christ. A commitment to Christ. Now, what I'm, when I'm talking about a commitment to Christ, I want you to understand this. This is more than a one-time commitment wherein we come forward and we pledge to be a better person. This is a commitment that every day when my feet hit the floor, every day when my eyes open, as soon as I get up, I commit that day to the Lord and say, God, to the best of my ability, 
with everything that is in me and with your help and the strength provided by your Holy Spirit, I'm going to live for you. I need you, Lord, to help me to crucify this flesh so that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's the type of commitment that I'm talking about. This commitment is deep and it's abiding. It's something that permeates our being so much that it becomes as much of a part of our makeup as our DNA. Have you ever met somebody and they didn't have to tell you that they were a believer? You just knew it. The way they carried themselves, the way that they spoke, the way that they interacted with you, you knew there was something different about, there was a part of their character makeup. Can I tell you that any time you've encountered that type of person, you have committed, you have found somebody that is deeply committed to Christ. You have found somebody that has a deep commitment to serving the Lord. Because you don't just get like that because you come to church on Sunday morning. You don't just get like that because you came to Bible study on Wednesday night. You get like that because you live a life of commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, some may not realize spiritual success because of their lack of commitment to Christ. They're inconsistent to service. They can't decide from day to day what's going to take priority in their lives. A constant struggle within caused by a continual assertion of our will above God's. Those things interfere. They're as miserable as Jonah on a ship to Tarshish. They know what God wants them to do and they're running as hard as they can in the other direction. They're trying to hang on to Jesus with one hand and the world with the other and that does not work. It doesn't work. Spiritual success demands complete abandonment of self and complete acceptance of God's will for our lives. You know, we see this principle displayed for us in the life of Jesus himself. Luke 22 says this, Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a familiar scene. It's a familiar passage. It's a familiar concept. But I remind you this morning of Jesus as he's there praying in great anguish. And he's, he's praying and he finally comes to this place and he says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Can I tell you, church, that is the essence of commitment. When we want God's will done in our own lives more than we want ours. That is the essence of commitment. That's what I'm talking about. There are many today that will argue this principle concerning the depth of our commitment. But I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. He says this, now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and your, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word sanctify there means to set apart. To separate yourself for the service of or for the purpose of something or someone. And Paul covers every fiber of a person's being when he says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Holy, that every part of who you are would be set aside to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Completely. Whole, spirit, soul, body. Completely. 
Let me give you this encouragement from the Bible here. Psalm 37 verse 5 says this. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and he will help you. Proverbs 16.3 says this. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Church, spiritual success begins with a commitment to Christ. A deep commitment, a daily commitment, a moment-by-moment, situation-by-situation commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, another element of spiritual success is perhaps one of the greatest areas of struggle for the average believer, and I'm going to be honest with you here for a minute this morning and tell you that I can speak from experience because sometimes, yes, even Pastor Steve struggles in this area, and that is our confidence in Christ. You know, before we can have a deep commitment to someone, we have to have a confidence in them. I can't commit to you without knowing you. I can't commit to you unless I've got confidence in you, and I can't have confidence in you if I don't know you. Now, let me tell you why this is so important, that we have confidence in Christ. When the storms of adversity threaten your life, It will not be enough for your faith to rest in an emotional experience or religious exercise. I want to say that again. When the storms of adversity threaten your life, it will not be enough for your faith to rest in an emotional experience or a religious exercise. You will need a faith that rests in the calm assurance of knowing who Jesus is to you and who you are in him. That's the only thing that's going to suffice. There are so many reasons for individuals within our world to be jaded and to be suspicious and to have little reliance on other people. I get it. I understand that. There there are issues of corporate wrongdoing. We see it every day on the news. There there are scandals that have over the years have rocked the church world. There's personal infidelity. Many people have suffered abuses and molestations. And there are so many things that transpire in our world on a daily basis that cause the breakdown of trust and confidence. But in this world of shifting sand, it seems like there's no place for a firm footing and we're taught, in that, in that context, we're taught things like self-reliance. Just, you know, you got to get it for yourself. Nobody's going to care for you the way that you care for you. You've got to look out for number one. You, you have to get things for yourself or they won't be gotten for you. The propaganda machines of this world have produced in us a mind that is suspect of anything and everything around us. I, but I've come with encouragement for you today, and that is this, that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and we can safely and assuredly place our trust in him. You see, for too long, I believe that the church has underestimated the sufficiency of Christ to do exceeding abundantly above everything that we ask or think. 
For too long we have discounted his ability to be our Jehovah Jireh. For too long we have questioned his ability to move the mountains that stand in our way. But I want to tell you today, church, God is still in the mountain-moving business. God is still a healer. He is still a provider. He is still a savior, and he's still a friend. We need to have the confidence of men like John, the Apostle John. We need to have the confidence to stand with these men and say things like, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If we're going to, how do we gain confidence? You say, Pastor, that's great. I, I want to have that kind of confidence. But how do we gain confidence? Well, if we're going to gain confidence, we're going to have to learn how to speak the language of men like Paul who said, I know whom I have believed in. Emphasis on the word know. Job said, I know, emphasis on the word know, that my Redeemer lives. We saw a miracle in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they knew the God that they served. We saw the same in the life of Daniel because we knew, he knew the God that he served was able to deliver him. But can I share with you today that confidence in someone is the fruit of a character study. Returning to the question, how do we gain confidence? The answer is that confidence, gaining confidence, is the fruit of a character study. It's the investigative work whereby we find out who and what a person really is. Now, you all know what I'm talking about. You've met people in your lives that posed to be one thing but ended up when their true colors came out, they were something very different. And you learned their character. You learned their nature. And now perhaps you lack confidence in them. But on the other hand, you've also met some people that maybe they looked really unassuming at first. You, you, you weren't sure what they were all about, but then the closer you got to them, the more you learned about them. You learned them to be a solid individual. You learned them to be a trustworthy friend. You learned them to be a man or a woman of their word. You learned of them to be somebody that you could confide in and you could trust. You know what that is? That's confidence. Because you learn them you began to trust them and you had confidence in them. Now, the character of Christ is revealed in the Word. A couple of weeks ago, I told you, I said, I wouldn't spend the time to argue the point with you whether or not you could be a good Christian by, because whether, based on the amount of time that you spent praying and studying your word. But I would argue with you that you could not be a victorious Christian if you didn't. 
And the same is true. You cannot have confidence in somebody that you don't know. Actually, you can, and we have a name for you. We call you gullible and naive. But for most who exercise any type of discretion or wisdom, we don't just trust people as soon as we see them, as soon as we meet them, but we learn them. And I don't care how many stories your mother has told you or your grandmother has told you. I don't even care how many times you've sat through some of my sermons. Maybe you listen to them on Sunday and you go back and you pick up the podcast on Tuesday and you listen to it three times during the week. That is great. The issue is, though, we can't spoon-feed you an intimate knowledge of who Christ is. You have to get into the Word and you have to study. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to get into this Word. The character of Christ is revealed in your Bible. That He's patient. That He's loving that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's a faithful friend. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's all of these things. And, and we learn this because we know him from the word. We, we open that word and, and the character of God, the character of Christ jumps out at us off of those pages and we've got to know him before we can confide in him. Listen, if you're tired of being overwhelmed and feeling like you just lack the spiritual wherewithal to stand against the things that are challenging your faith, I want to challenge you today to get into your word and study the character of God. Study the character of Christ. Stand confidently, not in who you are as a Christian, but who he is as a savior. Then you'll know what the apostle Paul meant when he said, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand in the knowledge of who Christ is. Daniel said, no, I'm not going to bow. I know who my God is. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said, nah, throw us in the fire. We know who our God is. We're not going to bow. Job said, yet though he slay me, I'm still going to serve him. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. After the worms have destroyed this flesh, yet in the flesh I will stand before him because I know my Redeemer lives. You see, too many, and I, I just felt impressed as I was waiting to come up here and share this morning as we were worshiping. I just felt impressed to share this last thing with you this morning. And that is today, there are too many believers who are trusting in the sufficiency of who they are as Christians. I want, I want to let that sink in here for just a minute. Because the truth of the matter is there are people who come in and out of the house of God on a weekly basis who pride themselves on their attendance record 
who pride themselves on the programs to which they've adhered over the years. But they live defeated and anguished lives because their faith is resting more in what they're doing as a believer than what Christ has done as a conquering Savior. And I want to challenge you today. We sing the song, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Today, I want to challenge you in your commitment to Christ. And I want to challenge you if there's an area in your life, in your spiritual walk, where confidence is lacking, that you would get in the Word, that you would drink in the revelation of who He is and who you are in Him. You know, the Word says, therefore, since we have such a high priest, let us enter boldly. It's, it's not because I'm a good Christian that I can enter boldly, that I can stand boldly. It's because of who He is. And I've got to know Him, right? Come on, somebody. Do you know Jesus in this place? Would you stand all over this sanctuary this morning? And I want to invite you just to, just to bow your heads with me right now. In these final closing moments of this service this morning, I want to just ask very simply this morning if you're in this place you'd say pastor there are times there are areas in my life where I'm struggling in my commitments to Christ there are times when the flesh is taking control and I'd like for you to remember me would you just slip a hand up wherever you are absolutely I see that hand I see that hand I see those hands you can put those down. Are there others this morning that you would say, and maybe some of the same people, that oftentimes I find myself in situations where I really lack the confidence in the Lord that I should possess after all these years of serving Him, and I just need to be strengthened in that area of my life. I need the Holy Spirit to pour a fresh measure of faith into my life that I might walk in confidence of who he is if that's you would you just slip a hand up we're just going to pray over you absolutely hands going up all over the sanctuary this morning amen you can put them down i want to tell you this right now god has promised you success god has given you the power to be successful but it begins, that promise begins with, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. And I want to challenge you that if you raise your hand for any of those things, even if you didn't, if you're wasting your time on the things of this world and it's robbing you the opportunity to get into the Word of God, to know Him, and to draw closer to Him, quit it. In Jesus' name. And rise up. Get into that word. Know him. Know who you are in him. And walk victoriously in him. Amen? Father, 
I come to you in the strong name of Jesus right now. God, you said that your strength would be made perfect in our weakness. God, and so many across this sanctuary today have expressed their weakness and indicated, Lord, that they need you to help them, Lord, to crucify the flesh, to deepen their commitments to you, O God, to strengthen, O Lord, the moorings of their lives. God, so many have indicated that in the times of adversity, in the dark hours, as they maybe walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, as they traverse the rough valleys, Lord, that they're lacking confidence in who you are. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would visit them supernaturally today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that right now in this place that you would just begin to work in each and every heart, oh God. Lord, that a measure of faith would be poured out, oh God. Help us with our disciplines, oh God. Help us to order our lives in such a way, God, that you are our priority, oh God. Because we realize, Lord, that of the things that glitter in this world, of all of the treasures after which we pursue, oh God, there's nothing more important than knowing you and being found in your likeness. God, we commit our way to you. We commit our way to you, Lord. We ask you, God, as you promised to Joshua, that that same promise would be poured out on our lives, oh God, that you would make our way prosperous and you would give us good success. And Lord, as John prayed over the church, I now pray over this great people, God, that they too would prosper and be in health, even as their soul prospers. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.